Parashat Nashow. Thank you all for being here this morning. Um, welcome to our guests. It's nice to have you. We love meeting new people. And if you're listening online, I pray that wherever you may be and whenever you are listening to this, you are blessed. Um, so let's begin. This morning, Parashat Nashow, I have some thoughts. I'd like to, uh, I guess, the overall thought I had this morning was to talk about truth. Now I know whenever I hear a teaching and the guy's like, I'm going to speak about truth, I kind of roll my eyes a little bit like, you don't think I know what truth means? That's the insinuation. And I'm not trying to insinuate that. I'd imagine anyone that is sitting here or listening online probably has a fairly good handle on biblical truth, of course. But, as John alluded to, when you look out there in the world today, on television and the news and social media, it's becoming apparent that the world's beginning to lose its collective minds. And it can be very frustrating and offensive what's going on out there. It doesn't seem like there's uh, truth has become subjective to the point where it's almost comical. I always try to talk truthfully. You know, I try as best I can. That's what we all do. So I just wanted to encourage us this week and uh, what the foundation of truth is, which of course is Torah, is my ultimate point. But this week's Torah portion contains an uh, example of that, and there's a greater lesson of truth in it. So we'll look in this week's Torah portion a little bit about some truth. Uh, so turn to Bamidbar or Numbers chapter 5. Oh, we are going to talk about the, uh, the test of jealousy. <laughs> Numbers chapter 5, um, verse 11 to be more specific, page 135 in your TLV. This, of course, is the um, ordeal by bitter, bitter waters, or also known as the jealousy ritual. <laughs> um, very interesting and uh, odd little ritual here. So I'm going to get into a little bit of it here. Let's begin. Uh, verse 11 of Numbers chapter 5 says, Adonai spoke to Moshe, saying, Speak to B'nai Yisrael, the children of Israel, and say to them, Suppose some man's wife goes astray and is unfaithful to him, and another man has sexual relations with her, but it is hidden from her husband's eyes, and her impurity is not detected, yet there was no witness against her, and she was not caught in the act. Then a spirit of jealousy overcomes him, and he is suspicious of his wife when she is impure. Or a spirit of jealousy overcomes him, and he suspects his wife, yet she is not impure. Then he should take his wife to the colon. Okay, let's pause for a moment here. I mean... There's much that can be said about this. This is very uncomfortable for some people. Depths of the Torah has some great stuff on the objections to this. A lot of common objections are, well, how come there isn't a jealousy test for men? Seems a little sexist just to have one for a woman. This is somewhat true. Know that if the woman ultimately is found guilty, the man that she cheated with would die as well. And so... Men do suffer punishment out of this ritual, 
Also, the sages teach that if the man has been unfaithful, then this whole test is really going to be meaningless anyway. It's going to have no effect on her. And lastly, yeah, the Israelite couldn't just willy-nilly haul his old lady down there to the colon and have her tested. I mean, uh, there had, the sages teach that there had to be witnesses to the fact that he was suspicious. Then there had to be witnesses to the fact that he told her not to be alone with a man. Then there had to be witnesses that viewed her or knew that she was alone with a man. So you just couldn't drag her on down there and have this process done. There was some fairness to this process. You know, it's the implementation of the Torah law that's a little more fair than you might realize by simply reading through this. So let's continue. Then he's to take his wife to the Kohen. He must bring a tenth of an ephah of barley flour as an offering for her. He is not to pour oil on it or incense on it because it's an offering for jealousy, a reminder offering drawing attention to guiltness, guiltiness. The Kohen is to bring her near and have her stand before Adonai. The Kohen is to take some of the holy water in a clay jar and some dust from the floor of the tabernacle and put it in the water. Then the Kohen will have the woman stand before Adonai and loosens the woman's hair, her hair. And then he puts her hand, uh, puts, put her hand on the remainder offering, the offering for jealousy, while in the Kohen's own hands are the bitter waters that bring a curse. Then the Kohen will have her swear under oath. Now, just pause for a second. He can't, the sages teach, he can't make her take the oath. She has a couple options at this point. She can say, I refuse to take the oath, whereas she gets a certificate of divorce and loses all the money that she acquired in the marriage. And then she's off to live life. Or she can actually say, I'm guilty of unfaithfulness. And the bizarre thing about that is she gets a certificate of divorce. She loses the money that she acquired during the marriage but she can't be charged as an unfaithful wife because according to Torah law, adulteresses need two or more witnesses and she herself is only one witness against herself. So she just gets a divorce, loses the monetary value from her marriage and she goes about life as well. But if uh, the woman is gonna stick it out, then she's gonna swear under oath. Then the Kohen will have her swear under oath and say to the woman, if no man other than your husband has slept with you, and if you have not gone astray into impurity from your husband, may this bitter water that brings a curse not harm you. If, however, you have gone astray from your husband, and if you have become impure and had sexual relations with a man other than your husband, then the Kohen is to have the woman swear under oath of a curse and to say to the woman, then let Adonai cause you to be cursed and denounced among your people when Adonai causes your thigh to rot and your belly to swell. May this water which brings a curse enter your body and cause your belly to swell and your thigh to rot. So there's obviously going to be, this is the test. If she's guilty, it's going to uh, gonna hurt. The woman is to say amen and amen. Then the Kohen is to write these curses on a scroll, wash them into the waters of bitterness. The Kohen will then have the woman drink the bitter water bearing curses so that the water of curses of bitterness enters her. The Kohen is to take the jealousy offering from the woman's hand and wave it on the, wave the offering before Adonai and bring it to the altar. Then the Kohen is to take up a handful of the grain offering and burn it up in smoke on the altar as a memorial offering. Then the Kohen will have the woman drink the water, finally. When she, uh, when she is made to drink the water that carries the curse, if she defiled herself and has been unfaithful to her husband, 
it will enter her and cause bitterness. Her abdomen will swell and her thigh will waste away. Now, when it says thigh, it's sort of a euphemism. It means that she will no longer be able to have children. We usually have pretty interesting Torah study conversations about this word because if you followed along in scripture, it has some interesting context, to say the least. But she will be accursed among the people. If, however, the woman has not defiled herself and is clean, she'll be free from guilt and able to have children. Amen and amen. Strange stuff. All this to say there is some fairness to this, right, that you can draw out of it. But the source of truth here ultimately is God. There, the court doesn't declare her guilty or innocent. The Cohen doesn't. It's Adonai is the source of truth. And that was the beauty of Torah life back then was if they needed an answer of absolute truth and they couldn't figure it out, Moshe would go to the tent of meeting or they could ask the Urim and Thurmim. Remember the breastplate with all the gems on it? <laughs> um, there's a few different ways that they could figure out ultimate truth. But the source of that was always God. Now, these days or at least for the last few thousand years, we've had the Torah is the ultimate foundation of truth that we have today. I know some might interject and say, well, the, uh, the Spirit guides us in truth, and this is true. The, we do have a, the Spirit in us. I've spoken quite a bit about that in the past few weeks. But that verse that we're talking about, the Spirit guiding us in truth, comes from John chapter 16. And the context of that is Yeshua's talking to his disciples. He's telling them what's going to happen um, during the trials they're going through, what's going to happen after he dies. And he says, I'm sending the Spirit of truth to you that does specific things to those people for specific reasons. He wanted the truth to reveal to them, remember his teachings, start up the early communities, write letters that we find in the New Testament. All that was very specific stuff. It's a specific direction. It's not a blanket statement describing what the Spirit will do for everyone necessarily. The Spirit gave them a specific truth. He does give truth, but the truth still takes a little legwork of our own. For example, Paul tells Timothy in the book of 2 Timothy, that he needs to entrust people with a message who will be able to teach others. You see, truth does need some teachers to teach it on some level. And he all goes on a little later to say the truth needs to be rightly divided, implying that the word, the truth, can be wrongly divided, right? Teachers without a Torah worldview may well be inspired to divide the word in a fruitful manner, or sometimes they do not. We all know many a good uh, Sunday teaching pastors in the church who do lead people to a meaningful and fruitful walk with God. I want to be charitable here. I think especially of Pastor Ray Hall, of Blessed Memory Sunday preaching church that I grew up under, one of the greatest men I ever knew, did great work for the kingdom. But we also see where teachers have gone very wrong in dividing the word when they don't have a foundation in Torah. Many teachers these days affirm some insane social movements that we see. Many, not all churches, 
But some actually endorse these lifestyles that are clearly sinful. This is a symptom of a weak foundation. Without Torah as that foundation of truth, truth becomes subjective to the point where you can just uh, come up with anything. And it's almost like you can put it on a wheel, on a wheel of fortune, and just spin this thing. And it's a slippery slope where almost anything goes. And that's what happens when the foundation of Torah is really not there, and you're sort of just led by the whims of man's doctrines. As much as today's world seems to lack not only truth, it actually despises it, and that only adds to the glory that Adonai is going to have when Yeshua returns. Remember, this is just like with the Egyptians, the Egyptians, the greatest kingdom in the world at that time, very wicked, but it was all for the glory when not just one single plague would come down. No, I wanted like a solid round of them. Let's give them a good 10. That way the world will know my name. That was the point. It's the same thing today. All the lawlessness we see in wickedness simply adds to the glory when Yeshua returns to establish truth for the earth. Truth is coming. As the prophet Isaiah says, for, for, for Torah will go forth from Zion and the word of Adonai from Jerusalem. Truth is on its way. Um, I think of Psalm 119. I was reading through Psalm 119. There's a great uh, section of it on truth. We'll just read a few verses. I always try to squeeze this in here and there every few weeks. Turn to page 694. We'll finish with Psalm, a little chunk of Psalm 119. Obviously, there are, it's a big one. Uh, verse 41, Psalm 119, verse 41. I'll close with this as we're uh, just, it reinforces that foundation of Torah. Really, all of these sections in here do, which is why I enjoy going back to them so often. Uh, Psalm 119:41. May your loving kindness come to me, Adonai, your salvation according to your word, so I may answer the one taunting me, for I trust in your word. Never snatch... Uh, out of my mouth, a word of truth, amet, truth, for I hope in your judgments, so I may always keep your Torah forever and ever and walk about in freedom, for I have sought your precepts, I will speak of your testimonies before kings and never be ashamed. I delight in your mitzvot, which I love. I reach out my hands for your mitzvot, which I love, and I meditate on your decrees." May the Spirit guide us in our walk and encourage us and strengthen us in our study of Torah. May the Spirit work in everyone, everyone in this world, uh, giving them revelation and prodding the hearts and minds of all people to seek truth. And may the love of Yeshua be filling our hearts with patience, uh, mercy, and love as we await his return. Shabbat Shalom.